Well, good evening and welcome. I hope you won't be intimidated by the microphone. I do know that the room is not that big, but we are very fortunate to be able to record our guest speaker tonight. And so we're using the microphones to make sure that everything in the, in the recording shows up. And we'll have a bit of an opportunity for Q&A at the end of the, the talk. And so I'll pass the microphone around for that as well. Uh, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Matt Mullins, and I serve as Assistant Professor of English and Humanities here at Southeastern. And uh, we host this event on liberal arts education and professional development each fall because our society labors under two deeply mistaken assumptions. Uh, the first is that education is only valuable insofar as it can be monetized. And that is, we operate under the default assumption that getting a college degree is, first and foremost, about getting a job. So we labor under this mistake because we live in a society that has completely embraced an economic mindset, one in which every decision we make and action we take is weighed as a cost-benefit scenario. So in short, our culture has adopted a mind of the market. The second mistaken assumption is that a broad education in the liberal arts, history, English, philosophy, theology, and so on, is not as valuable in that marketplace as an education in science or technology, engineering or math. And hence that terrible question that hangs over the head of every liberal, liberal arts major, it hung over my head I mean, every Thanksgiving, right? What are you gonna do with that degree? Uh, maybe you've wondered this yourself. Well. This event seeks to redress these two assumptions, and specifically from a Christian liberal arts perspective. After all, as Christians, we know that profit is not our most foundational or important motive, and that language, history, philosophy, and theology are as vital to our human well-being as are the equally important practical and people skills that we need to succeed in the kind of marketplace that we find ourselves in. So each year then, we invite an alumnus or a panel of alumni back to the college at Southeastern to share the story of how they have journeyed from their liberal arts education here to the world of gainful employment uh, out there. After all, there is in fact a difference in the professional development of a liberal arts major and of, let's say, an accounting major. The paths are just different. And the primary difference I have found uh, in my time as a professor of liberal arts students to be that the, the path for an accounting major or perhaps an engineering major is a bit more clear and direct uh, than is the path of your typical liberal arts major. And so they might look very, very different. Whereas, you know, someone graduating with an accounting degree most of their paths might look pretty similar. Um, and so our hope is not to give you this kind of 10-step process or a 12-step plan or something like that, but rather to share with you the story of someone who has gone from a liberal arts degree to a job. And uh, so you can get a vision, a sense of what it look, might look like very practically to venture out into the world after completing your college degree. I could recite, I'm not going to do it, but endless statistics about how Fortune 500 companies actually prefer liberal arts majors or about the parity of job placement between students in STEM fields and in the humanities. But these facts and figures are easily accessible online and constantly rehashed and rehearsed by publications like the Chronicle of Higher Education, 
Inside Higher Ed, and even places like Forbes magazine. And so instead, I'm just going to give a really brief introduction for our speaker and then get out of the way so that you have time at the end to ask some questions. So Lynn Pichaki graduated from the college at Southeastern in 2014 with a Bachelor of Arts in what we call Humanities. He went on to study liberal arts even further at Duke University after he completed his bachelor's degree here and completed a Master of Arts in Liberal Studies, so more liberal education. You didn't get enough, I guess, in the four years. Um, before becoming uh, a facilities operations analyst for the F-35 Lightning II Joint Strike Fighter Jet at Lockheed Martin Aeronautics in Fort Worth, Texas. I don't want to say much more, though, because he can tell his story a lot better than I can. So uh, why don't we welcome Lynn Pichaki. Lynn, come on up. Appreciate it, Dr. Mullins. And I want to thank Southeastern and Dr. Mullins for inviting me. Um, it's just a real honor. There are two places um, that I just really feel God's presence and totally at home. One was at um, where I was an operations manager for five years at a Christian camp up in Indiana. Every time you would drive in there every morning, it was like I knew right where God was. And same thing here um, at Southeastern. Every time I walk in that chapel, every time I come on the grounds, um, I love the place. So I want to thank them. And uh, um, kind of always kind of been a dream to be able to come back and to share a story and uh, and talk about this. Um, but like maybe one of the big questions you might have in your mind is, you know, should I come here? Uh, liberal arts education. What can I what can I do with that? So I was um, at the time up in Indiana. And I was, like I said, an operations manager of a Southern Baptist camp up there. And I had been up there for about four years. Um, before that, my father had owned his own construction company, and I was in heavy construction. I did not have any college education up to that point besides just taking some classes. Okay, um, I was uh, didn't have anybody here that uh, I knew. Um, I didn't come from a um, strong evangelical family. Um, it was totally independent. And so what happened was one spring, um, I had a, um, a youth pastor come to the camp, and he said he was coming to Southeastern, um, come to school. So this would be like the last time I would see him and his um, youth group come to the camp. And I was like, oh, well, man, I'll miss seeing you, but... You know, Southeastern, yeah, it's a seminary. I hadn't even heard of Southeastern before. We live two hours away from Southern um, Seminary, which is one of the five or six seminaries of the Southern Baptists in the United States. Um, never Southeastern. About two, three weeks later, I just felt God kind of pressing on me that I needed to investigate Southeastern. So I did. And... Three weeks later, I had applied, um, I accepted, and July 1st, we were here. And <laughs> that's how quick it happened. That's how quick it happened. Moved the whole family. My one daughter was overseas, um, so she left Indiana, but she had to return to North Carolina. 
Um, <laughs> we tried to lose her. It didn't work. Um, <laughs> and our middle child was a senior in high school. So, you know, that didn't go over real well. Uh, imagine if you got moved for your senior year to go to a different place. But I felt that strongly. Um, and so I started here. And so at the time, I was just turned 40. Okay, so I'm coming to school with everybody here. Um, but it was going to be a liberal arts um, degree, Christian studies major, um, theology, and the history of ideas program is what drew me here um, because of all the different philosophers, all the beginnings of humanity that you study here. Um, is what we were going to learn about. Um, and so, so what, are, what were the, some of the things that I wanted to know? Um, why would I choose Southeastern? was one that <clears throat> I knew I was never going to be a pastor. Okay? Number one, I'm not that compassionate. You can just ask my family. <laughs> I don't have a big mercy meter. Okay? <laughs> um, uh, but I wanted to be able to intelligently talk to whoever it was, whoever I met, whether they were Christians or not, um, about where they were in their faith, where, where they were in life. So I want to be able to know Christianity front to back, and I didn't know it well enough. I'd been a Christian for seven to ten years, um, but I needed to know more because I was going to be going out and working in the secular world, but as we are all told to do, that we have to go out and spread the gospel, right, and teach other folks about our faith. So I need to be able to speak that. And what happens a lot of times, and maybe you've experienced it, maybe you haven't, especially with people that aren't Christians yet, is here is history of the world, but biblical history is like here. They think they do not intersect, okay? And that's false. And I wanted to be able to learn how it was interwoven throughout history. Um, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to get that at a lot of different universities. Um, you, can, you can get maybe some decent education in that. Maybe you'll get a lot of evolution in this. Um, but I wanted the truth. And so to be able to do that, I wanted to make sure. And it's one of the few seminaries, one of the few places that has this type of liberal education. Um, liberal, of course, meaning breadth, as most of all you um, probably understand by this time. Uh, and um, before Dr. Aiken, there wasn't this program. And he was one of the people that brought it about. So you learn from all the ideas of our society today, our world, have origins, okay? And all these different philosophers and great thinkers have brought these ideas out. And so you learn about all of them, how these different threads, how these different thoughts, how these different thinkers, how today we still pull from that. This is why we believe that. This is why we believe this. This is why we believe that. That's what I needed to know. Um, so... Uh, I came here, and um, and then also I wanted to also to 
know about other religions. I knew I was going to be talking about my faith, but I also wanted to meet people where they were at in their faith, whether they were Muslim, Jewish, uh, Mormon. I wanted to know exactly what they believed, why they believed it, and then to be able to talk to them. Because first I wanted to meet them where they were at, understand and know that I knew where they were at. And then I could become their friend, and then after that, a dialogue. And without that, it can be pretty difficult um, to really uh, go into that type of conversation. And we were kind of blessed over the years that we had our kids, our best friends were Jewish, Mormon. <laughs> One Mormon father was a bishop in the Mormon church. Um, and since then, the one Jewish fellow, he is now a Christian. And I don't think that would have happened um, if we weren't seeking um, to do that. Um, so that was a couple of big major reasons. Um, just besides God calling me here, but that is what I needed to know, where I was going to be at, that if I'm going to come and get a liberal education, that these are some of the things that I needed to know, and I needed to know them very well. So I came here, um, I worked full-time, and I went to school full-time. Took like four classes every semester, um, and I loved every minute of it. And you will work uh, when you come here. I just love it. It was great. They don't have it here anymore, and so some of you are probably sound like your dad, but <laughs> he's like, there were sheets on the library doors that said, when you're here at Southeastern, you will work hard. Remember that? All over? You will work hard. I swear Dr. Aiken must have been going there and just putting them up over the place. Okay? Um, but I was, I was at best a terrible writer when I came here. Okay? And just to let you know, I'm not this super intelligent person. Okay? I finished with... Um, I think a 3.4 here that I had to work extremely hard for. And so probably some of the professors felt like sorry for me also. So maybe they uh, were generous. But I'm not this uh, super intelligent person. So I had to work hard. Um, and um, But I enjoyed every minute of it here. Um, and there was a lot of my... Strengths were not writing, was not reading comprehension, okay? Um, but I needed to learn that, so I said at best, I was a terrible writer. And it was funny, I would joke with Dr. Mullins. I'd be like, he would write, like, rough things to me. And I'm like, like, you can do a whole lot better than this, something like that. And I'm like, you don't say this to anybody else? And he goes, well, no, because... They're not your age either, so deal with it, you know? <laughs> so he was great. So he taught me a lot. Um, <clears throat> but all that to say um, that by the time I got done um, with my four and a half years um, to get my bachelor's, I became an average writer. <laughs> okay? Takes a while. Takes a while. But... My wife back there, uh, and it'll be 30 years in February, um, we've been married. Uh, I was not a very good communicator. Uh, 
I was a terrible writer. Um, I could read and I did well at school and high school, but I kind of coasted. Um, I didn't have to put a lot of effort into it. Um, but I did this, so I needed all those skills. Um, the little bit more polished than I am now is over the past 10 years of a lot of work, but I can attribute it all to here at Southeastern. Um, as Dr. Mullins had said, what, what happened was that I did not know what I was going to do with my education when I got here. And if you don't, or you're thinking about it, that's okay. If you're supposed to be here, from school here, that's okay. Um, I thought, am I supposed to stay in camp ministry? I don't know. Uh, maybe missionary field? I had it on my brain. I was mission field. Okay. After about a year and a half of doing school, uh, no. Okay, maybe I'm supposed to be a professor, maybe at a community college. Supposed to go further, but I told my wife I'm only doing my bachelor's and that's it. Mm -mm, no more, you know. Um, I don't. I don't want any more school than that. It's coming down here for the bare minimum, God. Okay, I, I obeyed. That was good. Uh, but I still um, dove into my studies. Year three went by. Year four, I'm like, wow, this education is fantastic. I'd learned so much, so much about the Bible, world, beginnings, philosophy, all different countries. The, the program here at Southeastern, um, I, my one daughter graduated from Indiana University. I've looked at uh, University of Notre Dame, uh, Stanford, Chicago, um, Greensboro. Nobody can hold a candle to this liberal arts program. And I can say that because I went and looked around for a master's program. And Duke had a master's program that was almost as good as this, almost as good. So I went and, and because of this education here at Southeastern, I was able to get a 65% scholarship to Duke. Um, and learn more intensely. What I ended up doing there was Middle Eastern Studies, uh, my master's in Middle Eastern Studies and the Arab-Israeli conflict. I needed, I wanted to know more about that. Um, but I was able to go seamlessly from this education into Duke. Again, uh, you'll do a lot of reading and a lot of writing. Same thing at Duke, all right? Same thing, a lot of reading, a lot of writing. And one of the first classes that you would take at Duke um, was an English comp class. And so what it really was, everybody came from so many different backgrounds and international students that they wanted to make sure that, you know, writing was, you know, formalized, um, the type of writing, just made sure it helped everybody in the expectations for the classes coming up. And we had about 15, 20 students, all different ages from all around the world. And one of the first assignments was that you had to pick a book and um, write a six to seven page, um, not a summary, but uh, critique it, 
write, write about something specific about that book. He left it wide open. I was like, oh, okay. So have you guys ever heard of uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper? Okay. I read that, and it upset me a little bit for this reason, that even though he was a pastor, he would go around in speaking engagements and talk about that there was heaven because he kind of seen it in his, he had a near-death experience, if you hadn't read the book. Near-death experience, they had a tarp over him. They went to check him. He had a pulse, came back. So he goes, he went around two years after this happened, and he talks about how heaven's real, and he experienced this. So basically, I wrote a paper um, on this that was, it was wrong. What he's seen was a dream and did a bunch of scientific research on it also. What he's seen was real as far as a dream, but heaven isn't real because Don Piper had a near-death experience and he's seen it. It's real because of the Bible, God's Word. So that's what I argued. So the great thing about it, and, and, and I didn't have this plan. I didn't know that this was going to happen. So you did, did it, and then at the end, you had about 25 minutes and we got to present it to everybody. And then you took questions. And so I presented it. Well, half the class was non-believers, Muslims, atheists. The other half, we had four or five Christians. It was, it was a size of about, I think about 12 to 15 people. So I was getting some pushback from the Christians. They were upset with me because they knew I was a Christian. And I'm saying, wow, Don Piper's not just because he says it, you know, I was kind of against what he was saying. They didn't understand that. They were getting a little irritated with me. What ended up happening was that they ended up asking me so much questions that I was able to uh, basically recite the whole gospel. Well, this is why. And God says, and I, I got to spread the gospel to the whole classroom. And they were asking me questions, and it got to go on like 45 minutes. The professor's getting pretty irritated by this point, too. And he's like, okay, okay, Len, you know, we're going to have to wrap this up. But then afterward, when we were walking out, they were continuing to ask me questions. So because of this education, this was exactly what I wanted to be able to do. I was able to articulate it to a whole classroom. And I had a captive audience, and they didn't even know it. And it was fantastic, okay? So th- that was how that, you know, led into that class. I had um, classes also at Duke where I had to take this class. It was mythology, how, like, uh, mythology and certain writings were, like, world ideas, and they were repeated throughout history. So maybe, like, a Homer and the Iliad, or even Christ's um, returning to earth, how that was repeated through different societies um, and civilizations over time. So I'm like, oh, okay, I can, hopefully I can deal with this, right? And I had a great professor, and he started talking different times about certain books of the Bible. And he would say, Len, what do you think about this? And I would get to talk about five minutes about a certain gospel of what the Bible said with that. Again, totally unprompted. But because of what I did here at Southeastern in the training, I was able to articulate 
that. And also with, with that, Duke and most universities are pretty liberal as far as Christian thought sometimes isn't always accepted very well. Well, because I was anchored with this great education and was taught inside and out in so many different aspects, I could go to Duke, right, and not have my faith shaken and be able to articulate it to all these other students. That wouldn't have happened if I didn't come here and um, go through all the different history of ideas, the English lit, the British lit, all these different courses that is a lot of work, but um, it has paid off. And at the time, I really couldn't understand, really, but I knew I was supposed to be here. So then one of the reasons also that I went to Duke was I had a chance to go to Oxford University. If my grades were good enough and chosen to go over there, and they were, and so I got to go study for a month over in Oxford. Again, would never have happened if I wanted to have the training and the rigor from Southeastern. So I got to study uh, history, politics, and society in the Middle East for a month from some of the best minds from the entire world on those subjects, and went right in um, to these classes. I had, you had two intensive classes in a month. You took two classes that were um, full credit um, college classes um, from all over the world. And so I was able to base my skills against people from Australia, Austria, England. And I was able to you know, uh, articulate and speak with them at no problem whatsoever. Again, I told you I'm this 3.3, 3.4 GPA person. And because of this education, I'm able to go to Oxford, which I had to pinch myself all the time, all right? I went to the Tolkien. Tolkien, I went to Exeter University and Tolkien graduated from that. And there's a bust in there. And I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. How am I here? This has got to be a mistake that I'm here studying where Tolkien went and where Churchill and then went over to the Eagle's Claw, you know, and had their Inklings Club. But it wasn't, you know, that was because of Southeastern. I was able to go and, and do that. And I had one class where it was just society, politics um, in Israel. So we had, um, the professor was fantastic, but he was brought up Muslim from Iran, but he was atheist. And there was about 10 people, but most of the people in there were atheists. Um, and for about two days, had listened to, you know, evolution theories and, and everything about society and the beginnings of the world. Well, there was oh, one fellow that was Muslim there. His name was Mahmed, and he um, taught in an international school in Amman, Jordan. And then there was myself that was educated here at Southeastern. So when he was introducing us, also, he goes, we have an expert in Islam here, Mahmed, and then we got an ex expert in Christianity. 
Lent. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what a target, you know? And I'm like, no way, no way at all. So for two days, we had to listen to some of these students and their thoughts. And finally, they, they, they caught each of us outside. And we weren't saying, we were listening. We didn't want to argue with anybody. Um, we were just listening. And after two days, they said, we really want to hear from you guys. We really want to know what you guys think. And we really want to know your thoughts. Um, but I, I think if I wouldn't have had this education, I wouldn't have... I might have argued with them. I might have tried to force my, my views and thoughts on them. Um, but I was able to kind of hold back, um, hear their thoughts, hear where they were coming from. And so really, so now we really start getting into what did the liberal arts, how did that affect me? Um, how was that able to help me get a job? Well, I'm able to listen to people. I can tell what viewpoint from the things they are saying after a few minutes, maybe even longer, and I know how they're thinking. I know where they're coming from. I probably got a pretty good idea of maybe their upbringing, where they're coming from. Without that education, I wouldn't have done that. Okay. Um, again, like we were talking, maybe you science, accountant, certain, certain um Studies, right, are very narrow. And so that's what we've always been taught, right? Pick something. Pick something. Josh, pick something. You're supposed to go to school. You know, you're supposed to be this or you're supposed to be that. Tell me, tell me what you're going to do. Um, with liberal education, it doesn't matter what you pick to do. The liberal education is going to help whatever you decide to do better. Um, you're, you're able to articulate yourself. You're able to speak well. If you can write well, you can speak well. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that is so true. Uh, you're able to understand people. You become a better listener. I was great at talking. You know, I was a terrible listener, so I had to learn to do that. So, so even when I'm near the end of my um, time for my master's at Duke. Um, I'm like to my professors. I had had two great professors, and one was my advisor, um, like Dr. Miller. What am I supposed to do? I, I really don't know. I, I want to bring my two worlds together. So like I was saying, I was project management construction, right? And maintenance, I had a lot of that. And for the past six years, I did maintenance work. My, my dad owned his own company, so I had to do a lot of maintenance work. And he just kind of forced me to do that. So <laughs> I kind of knew that. But I said, so what I've done in the past in this liberal education, I, I want to bring it together. How do I do that? And she goes, well, I don't want you to pick one or the other. I want you to be able to bring them together. Because at the time I was filling out, I started filling out applications and I was trying to like, maybe I need to work more in the construction or, or is, am I supposed to teach? I wasn't bringing those two worlds together. Um, and I probably filled out about 70, 80 applications. Okay. Because I'm like, I graduated from Duke, 3.52 from College of Southeastern. 
also, why are not, am I getting a job? What's the problem here? Well, I, I kept working. I was just working, working at a distribution center. I was working in maintenance. I was making pretty good money. It had gotten me all the way through college. I was able to pay for my bachelor's here. Um, time I got that, and then go through um, Duke. And so I quit. What do I do with this? Well, after about six, seven months, I get hired on um, at GE Aviation here in Durham. Never worked in aviation in my entire life. Okay. Um, it had something to do with maintenance, but they needed somebody with analysis skills to be able to look at problems and to be able to fix them. And so um, the supervisor that hired me, he had a bachelor's and a master's from Emory-Riddle Aeronautical School in Florida. And then he was 20 years in the Air Force career. And he came across my um, application and he goes, I want to hire you because you know how to think, you know how to talk to people, and I, I need somebody like you. And it had nothing to do with me. I swear, in this interview for an hour, he talked 90% of the time. All right. <laughs> um, and so I went, because of my education, because I was able to speak and sell myself, because probably, it, um, I know Grayson and Andrew, you guys are, you know, finishing up your bachelor's. It's a lot about selling yourself. How do I sell myself to an employer? Well, you almost have to have about a two or three sentence paragraph about who you are. Um, and actually, when I was going through this process, I was connecting with a lot of people through LinkedIn. And they wanted to know, okay, Len, I, had, I was actually talking to the guy. He would work for the government in Middle Eastern relationship, uh, Middle Eastern relations think tank um, for the U.S. government. And I was talking to him on the phone, and he goes, Len, tell me who you are. Two, three sentences. And I couldn't do it. And he said, uh, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I've been taught to examine a giant amount of information, read over it, whatever it is. And I'm able to break it down into a, maybe a couple paragraphs, tell you what the problem is, tell you how to fix it. And I'm able to do that with any kind of information. And he goes, right there it is. He goes, that's what you are. He goes, you're able to take a lot of information, break down all those difficult aspects of it, and then be able to give people solutions. And that's the uh, world we're in right now. So if you're an accountant or um, maybe an electrical engineer, um, a teacher, whatever, nothing is simple and cut and dry anymore. Okay, uh, For Lockheed, here's your description of your main job. And then underneath it, what they want is all your soft skills. Everything with a liberal education, liberal arts education, they want to know that. How do you communicate with others? Are you able to work in a team setting? Are you able to work as an individual? Are you able to use these charts and scales to be able to express your ideas? 
all the stuff that a liberal education, arts education will teach you um, to be able to communicate. So I was at GE for about a year um, for a bunch of various reasons. I ended up applying to Lockheed Martin, okay? And Lockheed Martin's been around for about 100 years, and they make missiles, and they make spacecraft, um, they make jet fighters. I said, ah, that'd be pretty cool to work. I just kind of threw out a few applications. My wife's shaking her head, no, it wasn't a very good idea. Kind of surprised her I didn't tell her I was applying to it <laughs> at the time. So that's always not good, okay? That was free. <laughs> um, so I applied to the job. Well, I ended up getting a reply back. Yeah, we wanted to do a phone interview. So that's when I surprised on Colleen. Yeah, call me for an interview. It's over the phone. Don't worry about it. You know, nothing. It's just an interview. So I got this interview with managers over the phone that were 41 years, had been there 21 20 years. These people have been there a long time. And uh, they said, well, why your education? Um, why did you go and seek that type of education? Um, and I said, well, I need to know more about Christianity in the world and the start and how to be able to communicate better. And I said, so that's what I need to do, and that's why I did it. And they said, well, you're the exact person that worked looking for here and it wasn't because of me or where I went to school but what I went to school for and what I could do because what they said was they had a lot of people that maybe knew how to do math and science and they might have people that could do a bunch of administrative skills or were maybe salesmen or IT people but what they wanted was the full full complement person that could talk to others, build teamwork, um, have meetings, be able to talk to whether they've been there 40 years or four days and be able to articulate yourself and be able to talk with that. Well, you know, when I was 35, I would not have been able to do that very well. Um, I definitely wouldn't have been hired at Lockheed. But because I was able to do that, they said, we want... Um, somebody like that, because again, we have all people in these certain categories, but we don't have these all around. And so that's the type of person that they want to hire, people with all around skills, not just in silos. So <clears throat> you'll see in a lot of companies, and they're all over Lockheed, that they have break down the silos, drive change, um, break down barriers, and it's all of... So much of our work today is like in cubicles and these individual departments, right? What they don't do is they don't communicate and talk well with one another. And that's the way our society is right now anyways, right? We do this one thing and we do it real well and that's it. And we don't know how to do a lot of communicating and talking to one another. So believe it or not, here's this big company, Lockheed Martin. Right? And there's some really smart people I work with, right? Way, way, way smarter than myself that I'm able to talk to and able to teach them how to communicate. And that's what kind of blew me away was 
I've worked at it for General Electric and Lockheed Martin, and I'm able to help these managers how to communicate, how to be supervisors. They put me on second shift to help some of these supervisors because they had supervisors that were like 55 years old that had been there, but they weren't very good supervisors. And so I was just teaching them how to communicate with their guys, how to get the most out of them. You know, how, how are you doing your work? Why are you doing it this way? Um, so I would just break down what they have done. I mean, some of this equipment, I've never seen it before in my life, right? Some of the stuff is $15 million, one piece of equipment. Um, just to give you a size, it's a mile long, the plant I work at, and they build it piece by piece, and it's an $85 million plane, and it starts out with just a couple sheets of composite and by the end, they fly it out, and it's $85 million, okay? And so my job in that is that anything that doesn't run well, any process that doesn't run well, any machinery that's not running well, figure out why it isn't running well. What's wrong with it, okay? This is what's wrong with it. This is what's happening. This is why. How do we fix it? Well, we need to do this. We need to fix it. And so... Basically, anything that's hard to figure out and other people don't want to do and give up, I figure it out, okay? And there's like 15, 20 of us. And that's what a lot of companies are out. There's a lot of difficult problems out there that people don't know how to figure out, don't have the analyzing skills, don't have the communication skills to figure out. Um, and so that's what I do now. As you can see, when I first started, I didn't have those skills. Um, but it had to come through this type of work um, and rigor. And in the beginning, you know, I didn't enjoy, enjoy it very much, the amount of schoolwork, the reading. Um, but because of it, my job's a lot of fun. You know, I work at a place where people go. I, I, we're able to give tours at the plant, and they're like, yeah, the coolest job in the world. And I'm thinking... And a year ago, I would have had no idea. No, no idea whatsoever. Um, worked hard, and, but these skills here have really helped me. So if there's any question in your mind about, you know, what can a, how can a liberal education help me, how these skills, it doesn't matter what you might be doing for a job. Okay? These are going to give you the analyzing skills. They're going to give you the patient skills to be able to talk and to communicate, to articulate what you're really trying to say. So um, I still have all my papers, so I can go back and show you where Dr. Mullen said, what are you trying to say, right? Right? And because uh, one of his close readings, right? Or whatever, you know? Do a close reading. <laughs> right? Not... It can be pretty tough, right? So you would have to read maybe 15 pages of the story and give a one-page close reading, and that's all you got. Well, I'm able to do that now because of that. I was terrible at it, but now I'm able to write emails, and there's some tough emails that I have to write, okay? There's some people that have worked, like, at Lockheed for 20, 30 years, 
and they're kind of, I've seen that they're going down this wrong path to fix something. So I have to write an email that says, this is the problem. This is how to fix it. And I got to make sure I don't offend them, right? <laughs> don't belittle them and don't tell them they don't know what they're doing. And I've had many people say, wow, just but to myself a separate email. That email was really good. You got to the point, you told the problem, you didn't upset anybody, and it was short and succinct. And, th and that was because of here. Um, and these people are probably way, way, way smarter than me. Um, and so that's um, kind of like where we're at at a certain point. Thanks so much, uh, Lynn, for sharing your story. Um, maybe you guys might have some questions about what it's like in, in that process of going from your degree to the job. So maybe while you're thinking about those, I have one specific question maybe to, to kick us off. So I, I think there's kind of a, a, a multi-dimensional um, problem in going from liberal arts degree uh, to a job. One is I think that maybe we undervalue the critical thinking, problem solving, and communication skills mm -hmm. that, that you've helped to see are actually so valuable at all kinds of jobs, um, even jobs that we might think, oh, I need an aeronautics degree to work at that place. But in fact, what they need are people who can connect across the company. So maybe undervaluing the kind of skills that come with liberal arts degree. After all, every reading response you guys write is reading these huge, long, complex things, sometimes from a totally different world than the one you inhabit, and then in a single page, you're saying, this is the point of that thing. This is a problem with that thing, and here's how I would address it. Like, this is what I think about it. So that's a really valuable skill that Lynn is helping us to see. Um, but maybe a question that might be like haunting us is that there's no doubt, like when going to GE or going to Lockheed, there must be specific kinds of skills that you didn't learn in the liberal arts education that you had to acquire in, as you're working at this place. Mm -hmm. And so could you tell us either maybe like a specific example or even how the liberal arts training helped you to, to learn a skill on the job that you need to work at a place like an aeronautics firm? Sure. Yeah. For my job at GE. Do not do this, okay? <laughs> do not do this. One of the um, questions in the job description for General Electric, GE, they make jet engines right over here in Durham, was that they wanted to make sure that you had maximum experience. And that is a software experience, I'm sorry, a software that mechanical problems that a work order gets called in, um, it gets logged on the computer, it gets tracked, this person works on it, these parts. Basically, it's a software that tracks it. And so they wanted somebody that also had maximal experience. Well, Len had none, okay? But this job fit me, right? And so what did I do? I went and Googled it, right? And for two weeks, I went and Googled it and then got, um, oh, you could get like a trial and work it, right? So I'd work all kinds of uh, trials. Well, then I got the um, interview. So I'm talking with Rick. He's talking and he goes, I see you got um, some maximal experience. Not a lie. 
Stretch. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, that's good. Okay, so you got Excel, you know, Microsoft, yeah. Okay, good. So I ended up getting a job. I'm like driving away, and he's talking to me, telling me I'll see an offer in like the next few days. So I'm like, golly, I gotta really, I gotta really hunker down on this Maximo thing, right? Because they throw me on it, I gotta really know what I'm doing. So they hire me, and it's about a two, three-week process, and they're going to send me up to the headquarters in Peoria, Illinois, because uh, my job title was Reliability Analyst. Okay, figuring out problems. Reliability analyst. So go to Peoria. They'll kind of give me the schooling and everything like that. So I'm, I'm Googling. I'm going crazy. They fly me up there for the week. We'll come to find out. I know like just as much as like the two main guys do. And I'm like, right? I'm like, whoo, thank you. Um, but I was able to jump into it hard because then now I had this Maximo up and on this laptop, my laptop with them. And so for a week, I get to figure out and, and I'm able to go through all their system. So then what they do, even before any of my bosses get there is they send me to GE to totally look at their system down there. And it was a complete mess, okay? What they had, the records were terrible, everything. But because of what I was taught here, I was able to crash course myself on Maximo. And they thought I was a guru after a month at, at, down there at GE. Oh, yeah, Len's a super user for that. I'm thinking, I'm telling Colleen, they have no idea. They have no idea, all right? But I was able to do that, and that was because I could go ahead and read 200, 250 pages in a week, you know, of Francis Bacon, right? Which is, like, terrible, um, <laughs> all right, and write about it. Um, but I was able to go down to there also, and they had all these cranes and all these equipment, and half of it was in there, half of it wasn't, it was terrible. And I was able to sort it all out within two weeks and tell them, this is what you have, this is what you don't have, and this is how we fix it, and this is how we do it. And they thought I was the best thing since sliced bread, you know? And, and, I, and that was a winging, you know, but... That's what I had to talk, teach myself. There's one part of that story that's actually, so we did, this is the fourth time we've done this panel or this talk, and there's one part of Lynn's story uh, that has been common every single time, and that is he finished the, the degree, he finished his liberal arts training, and then he learned, had to learn something practical on the job. In this case, like a software, mm -hmm. something like that. Last year, um, we had a grad from two years ago, and now he works in graphic design, and he had to learn Adobe, he had to learn, and he did these things kind of on his own dime, soon as he graduated, and this is the story of almost every liberal arts grad, is they are good problem th solvers, good thinkers. And so if they've got to learn a specific skill for a job, like they're good at learning it in the first place. And that's usually what happens is people see someone like Lynn and they're like, oh yes, we need someone who can get like a big picture vision of stuff and then go to work problem solving. And you know, if, if we have to, then I mean, we'll teach you this thing that we need you to do here. But we can't teach someone the universal skill that you have. We can teach them to do this very specific mathematical, scientific, engineering, whatever practical skill, because that's what we do here. But we can't teach someone to have like a global vision of things. And so that's really valuable to us. And we'll, we'll help you with this other thing along the way. Now, a very common trait to all these stories. I'm wondering what kind of questions 
do you all have uh, for Lynn, maybe about his journey or about what, uh, how does he use these skills in, in his training kind of in his daily job now? What, what kind of questions do you, do you have for him? So I just have a quick question. Like, were there any classes during your time at the college, like the college that you might've taken that thought, like after you finished them, you thought they weren't important at all, kind of shrugged them off. Are there any classes like during your job now that you look back and see the importance of them like every day, but at the time you didn't really realize it, like how important the stuff you're learning is. Um, and, and it's just not because he's standing here. Um, <laughs> the close readings, close readings are really valuable because there's going to be a lot of times where your boss, your supervisor is going to say, here's this stuff, make sense of it for me. I don't have time for it. And, oh, and I need it, like, in an hour. So I'm able to go there and take Francis Bacon. All right? Um, so English lit, or I'm sorry, American literature, right? And read this story, and then I need the bullet point. What's the point of this? What's the important parts? And those close readings, and that looking for what, what's important, what's the meat, what's the connective tissue, this, this is what's important, and there it is. You do a lot. We're a society now. We're our, our employers now. Everything's bullet points. They, they don't want to hear an essay. Okay, they don't have time for that. I want a bullet point, Len. Um, I want an Excel spreadsheet. It'll just tell me this, boom, 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 so I can look at it. This is what they want. It's coming like the president. He doesn't have time. But he's got 15 meetings every day. The bullet points, you know, we're walking here. Okay, that's what's important. That's what I need to know. And so basically taking and being able to read a lot of information, you'll get faster and faster and faster. And you kind of figure out when I'm reading, this is what I'm looking for. I know at this point of this page, this is going to be the important or this part of the chapter. Through practice, and it's only through practice, um, you're able to figure out what's the important parts, this is what I need, and this is what they need. And if you're able to do that and show people that, you are very valuable. Thank you. Yeah. Hi. Uh, as, a, as an English major, I'm very thankful. As a slow reader, uh, it's been kind of a horror story. But, sure. Yeah. Uh, would you would you say that, or have you ever had like any or realized maybe while you were at school that you had trouble with um, tunnel vision, or or try, had something similar that you had to get over, and how did you go about that, or if you didn't? Sure. A lot of the material here at Southeastern is pretty thick. Right? There's a lot of maybe some of the some of the things that you read in history of ideas. Um, Cordwin's book, especially your first year of history of ideas, it's pretty thick. And uh, some some of the stuff I had to read twice. All right, and hundred pages reading it twice is <laughs> not fun. Um, but that's what I had to do because when I first came here, I was a long time away from high school. 
in schoolwork. And so it's like getting your, your mind into the routine and what do you look for. So being focused, um, is, is it, was that your question? Being troubled maybe with focusing or, or something along that line? And so what I had to learn to do was I had to be in a quiet room to read. I had highlighted everything. I wore out highlight markers like nobody's business. Everything that I read, if I thought it was important, I highlighted it. So then when I could go and read it, or I'm sorry, go back and write about it, the highlight parts were what I thought was important. And um, I learned to get better and better um, with it. But uh, focusing on the reading, um, I couldn't skim anymore. Um, this was really focused, intense reading, taking notes. I kind of had to learn to be a whole different student um, and that you weren't going to just come here and um, do the work, get by, and and learn a lot. You have to totally throw yourself into this. Um, the rewards are unbelievable, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I, I figured I spent about 35 hours a week in class and doing my homework for four classes. So that's the amount of time I had to spend. So what are you talking, like seven, eight hours per class, three hours per week, you know, going to the class and then the rest with homework, reading, and writing. That's what it took me. So there's probably a bunch of y'all that are a whole lot better and faster than that. Um, but I really had to buckle down. My wife seen it where I just locked myself in the room. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, um, and I think everybody's going to struggle with certain aspects um, here. But you know what? You, you teach yourself. You learn. You ask. These professors are fantastic. Um, I remember all their names and everything, and that was because if you needed help, they were going to help you with it. So, um, but yeah, being an English major, there's going to be things that are really easy for you that are going to be difficult for the next person. So there's always going to be stuff that will be issues. But I would say that reading and the reading comprehension, because a lot of the questions would be, okay, what did they believe? Were they Christian beliefs? And if they weren't Christian beliefs, what did they actually believe? And why is that true or accurate? Those were pretty tough questions for me. Because a lot of times in our readings, they don't spell that out, but you kind of would have to read through that with what they were writing. So, so yeah, I, I struggled. <laughs> yeah, Caleb. So first of all, thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, <clears throat> so it seems like, uh, especially for some of us here in the college uh, and the seminary, that a lot of times it feels like the Lord has us like in this state of waiting. You know, we're, we're here pursuing this degree and we spend a lot of time, um, four, four and a half, sometimes five years trying to get this bachelor's degree. Because uh, like you said, it is really hard and there's a lot of work that needs to be done to do that. Um, for you, you know, going here and going to Duke, and going to Oxford, I'm sure there was uh, just a lot, that was a long process. So for you, did it ever feel like you were just kind of like in this rut of like, gosh, like I'm stuck. Like, when is this going to be done? Like, when can I finally like 
finish this and get to my goal that I'm, I'm achieving. And like, was there ever a moment for you where it felt like you couldn't really, um, grasp like, you know, Lord, like, why is this like so hard? Or, um, is this ever going to be, is this ever going to be over with? Like, you know, I'm sure that there yeah. was a lot of every free, semester. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> every, not seriously. <laughs> yeah. 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 My wife's going, yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, where, where is this going to lead to? I knew it was right. I knew it was where I was supposed to be. And I was learning a lot. Um, and so, even though I didn't know that answer, I said, okay, well, I'm waiting. I'm going to be learning. I'm going to soak. I paid as I went along, okay? There's a lot of people here that might be fortunate that their parents or maybe somebody supports them. $700 a month I paid while I went. So I was not going to waste that, okay? <laughs> I was not going to waste that. My wife worked a second job. Also, she was a registered nurse, and so she worked that. So I would be able to do that. Um, but definitely, and if you don't question yourself, I don't think you'd be human. Um, and be very difficult and not really known. But you know you're called here. You know that's what you're supposed to do. So you buckle down and become a good steward of everything God's given you. Firm believer in that, your time, your talent, your passion, your money, whatever it is. He's given you the ability to be here, and so you make the most of it. I've always like tried to teach my kids, I have three children, do not waste what God's have given you. Do not waste it. Um, he has put you on this earth for him and to glorify him, and so uh, make the most of that. But yeah, you're going to doubt it. Satan's going to be in there and say, no, no, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. You keep plugging away and you don't give up. That's going to build a lot of inner fortitude for you not, not to give up. And one other thing that I was um, didn't mention for my master's at Duke, you had to write a, a thesis. And so um, I had to write a 70-page thesis, all right? I'm like, oh my goodness. I think I had to write, was it 25 for you? 20 to 25? And that was brutality. That, right? So the seven. But what happened, what I got to do was when I was over in Oxford, there was a $1,500 scholarship that I wrote about and won um, through the Jewish Foundation at Duke. So I got $1,500. And so what I did is in 2016, January 2016, I went to the West Bank in Palestine, and I studied about how Jewish communities and Palestinian villages next to one another, how, why are they so different? And so I took that money, and I was able to travel there, and I lived in Bethlehem, 300 feet away from the church in Nativity. And I took an interpreter around, and I went and I studied in Israel for two weeks. And I've been able to do that uh, if it wasn't for this place. So that was another thing that I got to do that was pretty awesome. Um, went and went to the old city, um, got tours, but also seen a whole lot of life and a whole lot of reality. Um, so you just know that there's some awesome things that are going to happen and you have no idea. I think I was telling Dr. Mullins that I have, um, since 2003, I've got a list and it's a page and a half of things this journey God has put me, put us on, my wife and I. And it's a page and a half single spaced. 
okay, events like you can't make this up, <laughs> all right? You can't make it up. And uh, you just have to trust it. Because there's going to be a lot of times where maybe your parents say, what, what, are, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that education? Uh, there's even people who are going to say, you're not going to be this or that when you grow up. There's going to be a lot of people that are important in your life, that have a lot of influence, that are intelligent. They're going to say, nope, you will never, ever, you, you will not be this or you will not be that. Don't listen to them. They don't know. That's between you and God. Um, I don't know what God has in store for my wife, even though we're t- um, she doesn't know for me. But because I know where this is where I'm supposed to be, I've had this life that has just been, again, can't make it up. Can't make it up. So, yeah, definitely prayer every day. And there's a lot of times where... I probably, how fast could I type when I started here? Yeah, I mean, it was pathetic. Ten words a minute? I'm not exaggerating. That's how fast. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. So I just taught that, taught myself that way. Um, but yeah, I hope I'm able to answer the question. Okay. Maybe uh, time for one more? Yeah, Hunter. Um, so one of the things I'm picking up from it is not just like being able to do the close reads and to really think over whatever you're given in front of you. Um, what would you say is actually like one of the skills that helps you kind of accomplish that? Is it, um, pattern recognition in the reading? Is it taking the idea into a bubble and going, if the, if this, then this, like, what is just something that, um, you found that helps you go along and, analyze whatever it is you're reading and then apply a solution to it. Sure. Basically, when, when I would be reading, those first few paragraphs, where are we going? What are we trying to achieve? And then I would think of the different possibilities in my mind where it could be heading with this. Um, Eventually, reading and skimming, um, looking for the meat of it, learning then how to find those um, parts and pieces that were um, important. Because, again, when I read those first couple sentences, here's what I'm looking for. Well, then I had a few ideas what might be happening. But then make sure I do have what he had said. And, and what he meant to say. That's one of the skills that took me a while to achieve. Um, you know, uh, and then sometimes it did take me a couple couple readings to go over it. Like, again, this stuff is really, really, really thick. Um, but uh, that's what's helped me a lot, is to be able to uh, find an idea. Okay, these are some possibilities. This is what I'm looking for. And then get to it, get to it really fast. But again, I wasn't the fastest reader, <laughs> um, and this takes time. I had seven and a half years of school, full time of doing that, and it took me. And now I'm just maybe an above average writer. Okay, <laughs> so patience with yourself. So let's thank uh, Lynn for coming and sharing his story with us all the way from Texas. So thanks, Lynn.
In fact, I think that that last part about patience is so important. We're honestly, we're constantly being, being pressured, especially when, when we're students, when we're in college, to think about this as kind of practice for real life. Uh, and we were talking about this at the study tips event recently. But in fact, um, it takes time to develop these kinds of global uh, thinking and analyzing and writing and communicating skills. You can't just get good at them overnight. Um, it takes time to develop them. And so in fact, there's kind of two important ideas at play. One is that uh, college and even graduate school and so on, that's not practice for real life. That is your life right now. Like this is, in fact, like this is what you're supposed to be doing right now. It's not, um, you know, a proving ground for later. It, it will give you the, sc- the skills and the, um, the traits and the people skills and so on that you need for later. But, it, but it's not like this is play and that's real. This is real right now. And because these soft skills that are so valuable in the marketplace cannot just be learned overnight, it's kind of a good thing <laughs> that it takes a while to get through all of this. And this is why patience is such, not just a virtue, but a Christian virtue in a liberal arts education is because you will feel all the time like, why am I not done? I went to school for 12 years to do what I do, (laughs) right? And I was constantly plagued by the idea, like, why is this not over yet? Like, where is this all leading? But that's how long it took me. That's how long, seven and a half years is what it took, Lynn, to develop the kinds of skills that made someone from an aeronautics firm look at him and go, you are the one that we want, it's like, well, I don't have an engineering degree. You are the one that we want <laughs> to put all these pieces together. And so I, I say that all to encourage you as students, whether you're middle school, high school, you're a college student, you're going into grad school, whatever the case might be, like this is a great time for you right now. Like be patient, enjoy this time. Don't wish it away to get to the next step. Uh, when you get there, you'll be able to look back and narrate in hindsight. Oh, this is why all that was, which was Sammy's great question, right? This is why all that was important. You'll be able to do that then. It's, in, it's impossible to do it now, which is why you do need patience and why you do need to wait on the Lord. Uh, so thank you. I hope you've been encouraged tonight. We'll do a, a, a panel similar to this during the spring semester called uh, What is Graduate School? And should I go there? <laughs> so um, if you're thinking about more training, uh, more formal schooling after college, uh, that would be a good thing to attend in the spring and get a better sense because it's not for everyone. Uh, just as uh, maybe a BA or, or even an associate's degree is not for everyone. Maybe trade schools for some people, maybe a bachelor's degree for some people. It's not the same path for every single person. And so graduate school might be for you. It might not. Maybe come in the spring and hear from uh, our panel of, uh, of experts and experienced students about their experiences and you can maybe help uh, get a better sense is grad school for me. Thanks. Have a great night.